0: The Lord is risen. Amen. Our sermon text for Resurrection Sunday comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8, so please rise again if you're able for the hearing of God's Holy Word. And we read in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going out before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word Lord, your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Here on Resurrection Sunday, point us to the truth that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is risen, proving that our sins are forgiven and the promise of, of eternal life is sure. Strengthen our faith today, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this year, we made our way to Easter Sunday through the season of Lent by way of the Hebrew feasts and festivals. Each and every one of these feasts was given to the people of Israel for a different reason and they all reminded the people of Israel of fairly different things. But each feast and festival shared one thing in common and that thing they shared in common is they pointed us to Jesus Christ. They pointed us to everything that he would accomplish with his perfect and sinless life, with his death and with his resurrection. The very first feast that we looked at all the way back on Ash Wednesday was the Sabbath. And the Sabbath reminded us of creation and God's resting on the seventh day. The Sabbath was given as a day of rest, not just for the body, but a spiritual rest as well. It was supposed to be a gift for the people of God. And it also pointed us ahead to the true and eternal rest that Christ would win for us on the cross, and his promise of eternity in paradise with him. Next, we look at the Feast of Firstfruits, which was a harvest festival, and it pointed people, or the people of Israel, to the fact that every good thing they have is a gift from the hand of God. The people would give back to God um, what God had already blessed them with, and it pointed them also to the future, to a different kind of firstfruits. On the back of your bulletins, there's a passage printed from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the 20th verse of that chapter tells us But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That feast of first fruits prepared the people for the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus, who is the first fruits of all who have died in him. After that, we looked at the feast of weeks. And it was called Weeks because it took place seven weeks after the Passover. This one was also a harvest festival taking place at the end of the wheat and barley harvest. This feast was also connected to the remembrance of God giving to them the Torah, his law, and making them into his people. He took a bunch of slaves that he had brought out of the land of Egypt and made them to be his people, his holy nation. The Feast of Weeks coincides with a Christian festival as well, one that we call Pentecost. And Pentecost is simply the Greek name for the Feast of Weeks. At Pentecost, the very first one in the book of Acts, the gospel was proclaimed to Jew and Gentile alike, and many were saved. At Pentecost, God took sinners from every nation and called them to be his people as well. For the third Wednesday in Lent, we looked at the Feast of Trumpets, also called Rosh Hashanah. It was the Jewish New Year. And as the trumpets were blown on that day, the people of Israel had an expectation that God would reveal himself once again in a powerful way. There was this special hope that on Rosh Hashanah, the Lord would reveal himself by providing the salvation he had promised. Part of the fulfillment of this feast was Christ putting on flesh, In order to bring salvation to the world with his perfect life and his suffering and his death on the cross. But this feast also looks ahead to Christ's return when all things are finally made new. Then we had the Feast of Booths, which was another harvest feast coming at the end of the olive and grape harvest. And the people of Israel were supposed to live in temporary shelters to remind them of everything that God did for them as they traveled from slavery in Egypt to the land of promise. It it reminds us that God has also set us free from our slavery to sin through Christ and that God has given us another promised land, a land of eternal rest with no suffering, pain, or death. After that, we looked at the one feast that was not found in the book of Leviticus, the, the feast called Purim which is a celebration, really, of all the events that took place in the book of Esther. And God's provision came through even in a time when it looked like there was no hope for the salvation of the Jewish people. The book of Esther is just one event in a long line of times where God brought good out of situations that seemed completely impossible. The greatest of these we celebrated just a few days ago on Good Friday. On that day, it seemed like the light of the world had gone out forever. But God had actually arranged and ordained things that the sacrifice of Christ might instead be the greatest victory of all time and mean salvation for all who believe. On Maundy Thursday, we looked at the Passover. We remembered everything God did to set his people free from slavery, but specifically we looked at that final plague which God sent, which the Passover feast is a remembrance of. That final plague, you may recall, was the death of the firstborn males of both man and beast in all of Egypt. Every firstborn, except for those who trusted in the Lord and believed his promise, and sacrificed a spotless lamb and put its blood on the doorpost. When the angel of death passed over those homes, he would see the blood and spare the firstborns in that household. It wasn't because they were somehow better people or deserved it or were less sinful, but instead they were spared because they trusted in the word of the Lord. And scripture tells us that Jesus is the true Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and because of his blood, we too are spared from the consequences of our sin. And the final feast we looked at on Good Friday was Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, That day when two goats were chosen, one was used as a sin sacrifice for Israel, and its blood was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies eight times. If you remember the layout of the Ark, on top of it was the mercy seat, and that's where the presence of God resided. As God would look down through the blood to the Ark, he would see the Ten Commandments, which everyone had broken, and because of the blood, he would declare them to be forgiven, to be innocent. That's a picture of Christ for us and his blood covering our sins. The second goat that was chosen was the scapegoat, and the high priest would confess the sins of the nation over that goat, and it would be sent into the wilderness never to return to the camp of Israel. And that, too, was a picture of what Christ accomplished in his perfect life and and sacrificial death. Because of that, our sin is taken from us as far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again. Our journey through the Hebrew feasts and festivals has been the perfect Lenten journey because each and every one of those feasts was a shadow cast by the substance that is Jesus Christ. All of the feasts and festivals look back in one way or another on the faithfulness of God and the fulfillment of his promises. But they also looked forward and pointed us to everything that Christ would accomplish in his life, death, and resurrection. And many of them, too, looked even farther forward to the second coming of Christ when he would come in glory to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. Now, at this point, you might be asking yourself, what happened to the sermon text? All we've heard about is feasts and festivals. Well, I'll tell you, there is a connection between the two. Our sermon text for this morning, as you might have guessed, was a resurrection account from one of the Gospels, from the Gospel of Mark. And in that specific account, we had three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome, all headed to the tomb of Christ so that they could anoint his body. They got up early and left just after sunrise to take care of their task. As they went along, they worried amongst themselves because they weren't sure how they were going to get into the tomb when they got there. There was a huge stone that was covering the entrance and they couldn't move it themselves, so they didn't know how they'd get it out of the way. But when they finally arrived, the stone had already been rolled away. And not only that, there was a man there that they didn't know, all dressed in white, sitting on the right side of the stone. And when they saw it, they were scared. Now that word that we had for alarmed in our passage or scared in Greek is ek And it doesn't just carry the idea of fear, but also this idea of amazement. What they had seen absolutely blew them away. They were totally gobsmacked by this sight. And it was so surprising that it actually scared them. And the man, as angels so often do, said to them, do not be afraid. And then he tells them why their fear is unwarranted. He tells them that the dead man that they came to anoint, Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, is dead no longer. That he rose from the dead, that he is not in the tomb, but Jesus himself was alive. The angel even takes them and shows them the place where the body of Jesus was laid as proof that he was not there and that he lived. After this, the angel gives the women a task It's really the first commission to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And it was given to these three women. The angel told them to go find Peter and the disciples, tell them that Christ is risen, that he's alive, and that he awaits them now in Galilee. The Lord is risen. And that means that everything Jesus told his disciples was true. Every promise that he made, he would fulfill. And they could trust it all. It meant that Jesus was truly God's anointed. He was the promised Messiah. He was their Savior. And their sorrow and mourning could finally turn into joy. You see, the resurrection of Christ was proof that his sacrifice was enough. It was proof that his sacrifice was fully acceptable to God, that the price had been paid for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the entire world. It was the resurrection that proves that Jesus was the true substance that cast the shadow for each and every one of the feasts and festivals of the Hebrew people. You see, by Jesus' death and resurrection, he earned and fulfilled each and every one of those things that those feasts pointed to. For the Sabbath, the resurrection of Christ earned for us true and eternal rest because he had paid the price for our sins in full. It means we no longer have to try to earn the favor, love, and forgiveness of God. It is ours as gift by grace and through faith in Christ. For the Feast of Firstfruits, by Christ's resurrection, he became the firstfruits of all who have fallen asleep. And that gives to us the sure hope of life eternal in him. For the Feast of Weeks, the resurrection of Christ proves that we are God's people, both now and forever, by faith. And that we have the promise of a true land in eternity, heaven. For the Feast of Trumpets, God showed up in a powerful way and revealed himself, conquering sin, death, and devil in one fell swoop. For the Feast of Booths, in Christ's resurrection, he made sure the promise that comes in Philippians 1:6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For the Feast of Purim, once again, when everything seemed dark and impossible, the Lord provided in the greatest of ways through the resurrection of Christ. He turned what looked like defeat into the ultimate victory. To fulfill the feast of Passover, Jesus became the perfect Passover lamb, paying the price for our sins. And in his resurrection and ascension, that lamb took his seat at the right hand of the Father to reign forever. And to fulfill Yom Kippur, The resurrection guaranteed that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west, never to be counted again, just like the scapegoat that never returned to camp. In the back of your bulletins, you have those verses from 1 Corinthians 15, and in part it reads, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life... We have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. But if Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So place your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stake your very life upon them. Because the Lord is risen, and since he is risen, all of the promises of God in Christ stand true for all who believe. Because the Lord is risen by grace and through faith, your sins have been forgiven. And because the Lord is risen, you have been made into a people of God. Because the Lord is risen, you have the promise of life and life eternal in him. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The stamp of approval on everything that Christ did and the promise and sure hope that all who believe in him will rise to new life and spend eternity with you in heaven. Comfort us with these words as we celebrate your resurrection. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.